0: Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia. On this beautiful Monday morning, I'm still kind of a little bit, you can hear my voice, I'm still a little bit in recovery mode from Comic-Con, but it is good to be back. Hey, listen, guys, what I normally like to do here on the John Campia Podcast is uh, most of the show, I take your questions. How do you get your questions to me? It's simple. You just email me anytime at Podcast at gmail.com. Sometimes I ask for questions on my social media as well, but that's the best way to get your questions and your topics and your opinions to me that I can read and maybe use on the show. But one of the things I want to talk about here quickly before we get to the questions is something that a whole bunch of people have been asking online and asking me directly, social media, email, whatever. And that's this. On Saturday both Warner Brothers as a whole, not just their DC properties, but DC as a result, and Marvel had their big presentations, their big Hall H presentations at Comic-Con. They did them both on the same day this year. And what a lot of people have been asking, because we like to make a competition out of everything, is who won? Who won the Saturday presentations at Comic-Con? Was it DC with their big Justice League? Trailer was it Marvel with their you know their new Thor Ragnarok trailer and their kind of little behind not really behind the scenes their real, their sizzle if you will scissor teaser of Infinity War who won Comic Con and I've been thinking about that a little bit I, first of all I think both companies did a great job I really do I think Marvel and DC did exactly what they needed to do and both of them upped the profile of both of their brands. I think they both did a great job with their presentation on Saturday. There was no real loser at all on Saturday. But in asking the question, well, who did the better job? Come on, come on, come on. Who won? I think there are two separate answers. And I'm not just trying to be diplomatic here, but I honestly mean this. I think there are two separate answers. On the one hand, who did the better overall job I'm going to say that the Marvel panel did the best overall job. I mean, when you look at the fact that they released multiple things like the Thor Ragnarok trailer, the Infinity, even though they didn't put the Infinity War thing online, but if there were some bootleg copies of it online, if you had a chance to see it, so it was there for you to see if you wanted to. But their panels themselves, like the Black Panther trailer in particular, was really great. And just overall, the package of the presentation and the sheer amount of stuff that they shared, I think Marvel overall did the better job with their presentation. And so if you were to ask me the question specifically, who overall kind of won the day, I would kind of say Marvel won the day. However, there's another way you could phrase that question. Who had the best thing presented at Comic-Con on that Saturday presentation? And to me, honestly, that part's not even close. It was the Justice League trailer. The Justice League trailer to me was the best single thing shown at Comic Con this year. I mean, it was amazing. And the best moment, um, was I am still completely floored. I just, I rewound and watched this one part over and over again when Aquaman was Air sailing and air surfing, that parademon down all the way through the building and vroom, Arthur comes out of the front of the building, standing badass the way only Jason Momoa can stand. I was just giddy when I saw that scene. I rewound and watched that scene a bunch of times. Flash himself may have stole the trailer. He had a lot of really good comedy in there. I thought that really worked. You could really tell that... They were trying to change directions tonally a little bit. You could tell that this trailer was distinctly tonally different from the Batman versus Superman trailer that they debuted at Comic-Con, which I thought was the best trailer of the year that year. But you could tell they were going for a little bit of a different tone, and it just felt really good. Now, I know the movie may still suck. Who knows? I mean, we never know. You never know. But if all we're doing is talking about the trailer, that trailer was amazing and to me was the highlight and yes i'll say it. i think that justice league trailer was better than the avengers infinity war reel which is part of the reason Now, a lot of people were asking me you know why didn't marvel release it online and you know i made a video about that why didn't marvel release the uh, the infinity war reel that they had that they played at d23 last week and one of the reasons that i speculated was you know it's really early that movie is forever away And marketing is a very fine art and science. And just because they put together a trailer right now to show fans at conventions doesn't necessarily mean that Disney is ready to show it to the world, that that might not be the trailer they want the world's first uh, exposure to Avengers Infinity War to be. They may not be happy with it to show to the world. They might be happy with it perfectly fine to show to a few thousand people at D23, show to a few thousand people at Comic-Con. But to them, it's probably a matter of this isn't, we don't have enough footage available to us yet to put together the real trailer that we want everybody's first exposure to Infinity War to be. And I watched it. And I if that is their reasoning, I gotta tell you, I agree with them. Look, it was very, very, very awesome to see. It was awesome because you get to see all the characters and and some very cool shots. But overall, as a cohesive package... The Justice League trailer blew it out of the water. I mean, like I said, it was very fun to see, super fun to see. But I can see why they wouldn't want the world to have this particular sizzle as their first exposure to uh, Infinity War. I could totally see why, because they're not ready for it yet. So I'm totally on board with Marvel not releasing it to the world, because it honestly doesn't stand up. And I'm sure when they do have their first true trailer, For Avengers Infinity War, I'm sure will stand up to that Justice League trailer. But this particular reel did not, in my opinion. I know there are some people out there that think differently, and that's totally cool. That's the best thing about all of us being film fans is we can have different opinions. But to me, yeah, the Justice League uh, trailer was the thing that stole the show. So overall who do i think won the day's presentations i think overall as a total package including the panels themselves and all that kind of stuff i think marvel did the better job but what single thing stole the show to me was the justice league chair. that's the one i buzz most about so that's just my thought what did you think did you have a chance to see everything that was going on there jump down to the comment section and let me know your thoughts all right guys let's get to the first official question of the day and the first official question of the day comes to us from lena de who writes This week at Comic-Con, Noah Hawley said that he was going to be making a Doctor Doom movie. Why is Fox still trying? Is it pride? Is it money? Do they actually think they have a good idea this time? Isn't it time for them to give up on the Fantastic Four stuff? Yeah, thanks a lot for the question, Lena. Now, for those of you who don't know what Lena is talking about, there was a panel going on about the hit Fox show, hit FX show, Legion. And the showrunner of Legion is Noah Hawley. and. At the very end of the panel, Noah Hawley, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, this is basically what he said. Noah Hawley said, hey guys, I just want to tease one little thing. I'm working on a movie for Fox, and the first two words are Doctor, and the second word is Doom. And of course, everybody lost their minds and blah, blah. blah. So clearly, the showrunner of Legion is working on a Doctor Doom movie for Fox. So the question then becomes, why? Why are they doing this? Look, re- I'm a big fan of Fox like everybody who for years now is saying oh i send x-men back to marvel look if they had ever sent it back to marvel we never would have gotten that awesome logan movie we never would have gotten deadpool we never would have gotten x-men days of future past look for like everybody likes to just kind of look at the black spot on the paper and they say oh well you know fox did x-men three well yes they did and that was a bad one and Fox did Apocalypse. Yeah, that one wasn't so good. Yeah, I agree. That one was so good. But Fox is also the one who gave us X-Men 1 and gave us X-Men 2 and gave us X-Men First Class and gave us X-Men Days of Future Past and gave us Logan. Still the best movie of the year, by the way, is Logan. Uh, They're the ones who gave us Deadpool. They have cranked out some awesome stuff and some R-rated stuff, stuff that Marvel would not do. I'm not saying Fox is a better studio than Marvel. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is that the Fox situation with Marvel is the perfect example about how not having everything under one frickin' roof and not having a complete monopoly under one or just two roofs, just Warner Brothers and just Marvel, that spreading it out a little bit has benefited us as film fans a great deal. And hopefully Fox doing movies like Deadpool and doing movies like Logan, showing that the art. You know me, I don't think everything has to be R-rated. I don't think most stuff has to be R-rated. I think PG-13 is just fine. But Fox experimenting and showing that an R-rated comic book movie... Like mainstream comic book movie, like Logan, Deadpool, and putting those out R rated. I think those are going to influence Warner Brothers and influence Fox or influence Marvel, I should say. I think it's really healthy for us to have another player in the game like Fox cranking out these movies. I think that's a great example of it. But at any rate, one of the things amidst all the Fox's successes, the one thing that has really stood out as an abysmal failure over and over and over again, was they just don't know what to do with the Fantastic Four. For whatever reason, they can turn this obscure, foul-mouthed, little, what was kind of a fringe comic in Deadpool, and turn him into a certified mega-hit internationally. They could take Logan and do something completely uncomfortable with that character in the movie Logan, and make it a huge hit and make it super successful. For some reason, Fox knows how to work with the filmmakers on properties like Days of Future Past and future and properties like Logan and Deadpool. And they know how to make them great. But every time they've tried to do something with Fantastic Four, they have botched it horribly. Not just, eh, it wasn't that good. No, no, no. Horrible. Horrible movies. So why hasn't Fox learned its lesson at this point? Just go, look, every time we make these movies, we get our asses kicked. Let's just give it up. Let's just let the, let's make a deal with Marvel to send it to them early and get something out of it. Or let's just take our hands off it, let the lease on the characters lapse and let them naturally go back to Marvel. And let's just focus on the properties that are working for us. But apparently they're not doing that. Noah Hawley, the showrunner of Legion is developing a movie for Fox. Now, one thing to keep really close in mind here is that some people are saying, oh, Fox is making a, a Doctor Doom movie. And even I accidentally use that terminology sometime. but let's be clear here. There's been a no, no announcement that they are actually making this movie. All Noah Hawley said, he's developing a movie for Fox. They're, he's putting it together. Whether or not it actually makes it in front of cameras and actually goes into production or anything like that, we don't know yet. But let's for a second assume that that's the plan, that they've got Noah Hawley working on it and they're going in that direction. Why? Why take another shot at this when they've had failure after failure at it and they're having some success with their other properties? Why do that at this point? I think there are a couple of options here. Option number one is that they really do believe in the property. They believe in Fantastic Four, even though they haven't been able to make it work yet. They believe in it. It's like me and bowling. I don't bowl often, but sometimes groups of friends go out bowling. I suck at bowling. No, really, I suck but I have fun doing it. And I think there's value in going out and going bowling with some friends. It's a good time. Everybody laughs, even though I suck at it. There's value in doing it. And I don't know, maybe Fox thinks, you know what? There's still value in the Fantastic Four property. Even though nobody has bought the Fantastic Four comics in years and they killed the lines here and there and they they did all that kind of stuff. We believe, says Fox apparently, that we believe in this property and we want to do more with it. And it should be important to note to hear that uh, Simon Kimberg said months ago that they weren't given up on Fantastic Four, that they still had plans for it. So there's that. The other thing about why make a Doctor Doom movie is simply this, is just that for whatever reason, they don't want to let the rights go. And by putting a Doctor Doom movie into production, remember, it's not in production yet, it's not in front of cameras, but if they get a Doctor Doom movie in production, that resets the clock. And keeps the Fantastic Four rights and other properties firmly in Fox's hands for a number, X number of years. So could it be that they're just trying to hold on the rights and keep it away from Marvel? Could it be that they they actually really do believe in the property and they want to do it? I believe the answer is this. I believe if they were just trying to reset the clock and that's it. They just wanted to keep the the Fantastic Four rights. That's it. They have no other motivation other for this Doctor Doom movie other than to keep the rights to Fantastic Four. If that were true, I don't know why you would take a hot name like Noah Hawley, who has just made this incredible television series for you that everybody is buzzing about. I hated the first episode, but thankfully a bunch of you guys told me to try it again and get back on board with it. And I did. I'm so glad you guys talked me into it because the rest of the series was awesome. But... Why would – if you if all you wanted to do was make a throwaway movie just so you could keep the rights, you don't go out and get one of your hottest talents right now in Noah Hawley and get him to start developing that movie. No, 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 no. That doesn't make any sense. What you do is you go out and you get some film blogger and vlogger, say a guy like the name of John Campia. If all you want to do is make a throwaway movie so you just keep the rights to Fantastic Four, then you hire a John Campia to come in because no one will give a shit – But if you all you want to do is throw it away, you don't bring in one of your hottest names. So what I really think the truth of the matter here is, is that they're going to move fairly quickly because, yeah, they do want to keep the rights. But part of the reason that they want to keep the rights is that they actually do believe in the property. And I've got a feeling if they're letting Noah Hawley, one of their hottest names and hottest talents right now, work on it, they must have a really good idea. Or at least they must have an idea that they think is really good and Noah thinks is really good. And they must think they've got something on their hands. Now, every movie that goes into production, at least 99% of them, the studios and the filmmakers think they've got a hot property on their hand. And whether that's true or not, the audience decides later. But it looks like they've actually got an idea that they like. They've got one of their hottest names involved on it. And as a bonus, they get to reset the clock of the Fantastic Four properties, which gives them more options moving into the future. But I'm going to tell you this, though. Although I said this after the last Fantastic Four movie, but I'll say it again for Dr. Doom. If they try Dr. Doom and it doesn't work, dear God, just give it up. Just give it up and let it go. Here's hoping Dr. Doom is the next Logan or the next Deadpool, or the next X-Men Days Future Pass, and that it's awesome. I hope that it's great. But if you do it and it doesn't work, Fox, it's time to let it go. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. Let's move on to the next one. And the next question today comes to us from Mr. Yasman 300, who writes, who are some of the directors or actors you think the media is overhyping them as the next best thing, even though you don't think they are? My pick is Adam Wingard. I don't think he's as good as everybody is making him out to be. Thanks a lot for the question, Mr. Yasman. Um, Let me focus on the one part of your thing they're saying uh, about Adam Wingard. I disagree with you, not because I think he's overrated or not overrated. I they're really I don't know who you're talking to, but there's not that many people out there clamoring saying he's the next big thing. Um maybe you've talked to some people or read a couple of things a few places of people maybe suggesting that, but as a whole, for something to somebody to be overrated or overhyped, that means as a whole, like across the entire media and demographic that everybody's like hyping it up and I think ninety five percent of people out there, if you said the name Adam Wingard, they've never even heard the name. They don't even know who it is. Um, and certainly, I know a lot of people really like what he did with his Blair Witch uh, kind of reset, if you will. It wasn't really a reboot, and you know, you know what I mean. I think I thought he did a nice job with it. Um, I haven't seen Death Note. I'm very curious to see what he does with King Kong versus Godzilla because he's going to be directing that. But uh, honestly, and he did the guest, and the guest was a, a fine little movie. I just, I can't say that he's super overhyped because I don't hear people hyping him that much. I, I think people are saying, yeah, he did a nice job with Blair Witch and let's keep an eye on him. But I really don't see the hype that you're seeing as far as that goes. Now, as far as directors go, who are getting really overhyped as the next big thing and stuff like that, I think for the most part, people learned their lesson with M. Night Shyamalan, uh, Shyamalan because remember there was the big i think it was time magazine it might have been a different magazine but it might have been time that had the big cover of m night and it's like the next spielberg after he had done a couple of movies like i think at that point he had done three movies and everybody was pegging him after three movies as the next spielberg and then m night's movies went right to shit for a long time and he's starting to make a bit of a resurgence now but for a long time, his name was Mutt. And I think people have learned their lesson not to crown the next Spielberg so quickly. They haven't even done it with Christopher Nolan. And I think uh, Christopher Nolan is now getting into that conversation now. But I think even with Christopher Nolan, we're, hey, three or four movies, let's not jump the gun. Five or six or seven movies. Okay, now starting to, it's time to start talking about Christopher Nolan in terms of like top 10 best filmmakers of all time. But it took a while. And so I think as far as the media goes, the media learned a long time ago not to jump the gun on crowning the next Spielberg or the next Coppola or the next Hitchcock, whatever. I think we're going to have to – they're going to be – they've been more patient about it. So I I just don't see it with the Adam Wingard stuff. I don't. So I really don't think any filmmaker has been super overhyped at this point because I'm not seeing a whole ton of hype about new filmmakers yet, especially not – Like I'm seeing a lot of people saying, this new director is super talented. That's great. But I'm not hearing people going, this new director, he's going to be one of the greatest filmmakers ever made. I'm not hearing that type of hyperbole anymore when it comes to that stuff. So, I mean, let's keep an eye on it. It's an interesting question, but I I disagree with you with the Wingard thing, but I can't give an answer as to who I think would be big overrated uh, directors at this point, like super overhyped and being crowned the next big thing when I don't think any of them have been for a while. Maybe you think some have. Jump into the comment section and let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear what you think. All right. The next question comes to us from Erwin Marlin, who writes, Do you think box office and news media as a whole will ever recognize the fact that films do not open on Friday, but they open on Thursday night? I always see ads saying that X film opens on Y day, but it is never true. Is there any reason that Thursday night is not acknowledged as opening day? Yeah, that's a great question, (laughs) Erwin, because remember, a number of years ago, it wasn't all that long ago, it was just like five years ago or something like that. Movies opened on Friday. That's when they opened. Now, sometimes when there was a big movie coming out, they would do a midnight screening. We don't notice we don't talk about midnight screenings anymore, but for a long time it was there was a midnight screening of it Thursday night or early Friday morning at 1201 a.m. Friday morning, which would technically, which would in many ways would be late Thursday night. And so, and then what happened was it wasn't just big movies having midnight screenings. Suddenly, more and more movies had midnight screenings. And then they started to nudge them. Well, now there's an 11 p.m. screening on Thursday night. And then there was a 10 p.m. screening. And now there's like a 7 p.m., 8 p.m. screenings on Thursday nights. So for most intents and purposes, the movies open on the Thursday. Like if they say it opens on Friday, September 9th, really... You can go to the theater and buy tickets for Thursday, September 8th. So that's just the way it's evolved over the last couple of years. And it wasn't that long ago that, that this wasn't the case, but it's a relatively new thing. I believe box office does count those Thursday nights for opening weekend numbers. I believe the, the uh, box office, the official box office numbers do count the Thursday nights. Why then haven't they just come out and acknowledged that Thursday is the opening day? I think the reason is, and I'm, I could be stretching here. I think the reason they're not crowning Thursdays as opening night is because on Fridays, which is opening day, you can go to a 10 a.m. screening. You can go to a 12 p.m. screening. You can go to an afternoon matinee, and then you get into the evening screenings. It's open on Friday. Thursday's still not so much. Like, if a movie's opening on Friday, you can't go Thursday at noon and watch a screening because it's not open yet. And I guess you could make the argument at 8 p.m., it's past midnight somewhere. so I think the reason that they're still calling Friday as the official release date is because it is officially the release date. Those Thursday screenings, I think are still classified as preview screenings, even though they're open to public uh, ticket consumption. and the fact that they only show at night. they haven't moved them back into matinees or morning screenings, that all happens on Friday. So I think the reason they're still calling Friday as the full official day is because that's the full the first day that you can go see it any time during the day. So that's, I'm just taking a guess there. It seems to make the most sense to me. Uh, it is interesting how this whole thing about th- when does the movie open on Friday or Thursday from midnight screenings to 7 p.m. screenings. It's really interesting to keep a note on. But yeah, I think the answer to that is because Thursdays, you can't go any time during the day on Thursday to see it. It's only at a certain limited number of hours on Thursday you can see it. And so they still kind of crown Friday as the official opening day. Anyway, thanks a lot for the question. All right, the next question comes to us from Jason Dolan, who writes... I was showing my dad Captain America, the first Avenger for the first time. And in the opening scene with Red Skull, he makes reference to Hitler digging up trinkets in the desert, possibly referencing the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And of course, India is now owned by Disney. Could we ever see a crazy Indiana Jones crossover with the MCU? Um, First of all, no. Uh, that's never gonna happen. We're never gonna see Indiana Jones having a conversation with Captain America. They are two different universes, two different worlds. And I think you kind of ruin the universe of Indiana Jones uh if you do that. And there's just no, there's just no point. He's an adventurer, he's pretty good in a fist fight, but Indiana Jones has no place alongside of like the Avengers or Iron Man or Captain Marvel or you know, it just it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. Now, as far as drawing a line because they're making references to Hitler digging for trinkets. Hitler was obsessed with the occult. Hitler was like all into anything that, which is what Raiders of the Lost Ark based kind of that story on. Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't make up the notion, didn't come up with the idea of Hitler being interested in the occult and the supernatural as a way to try to take over the world. Hellboy touched on that too. It's not that Indiana Jones and Hellboy have a crossover universe. Um, They're just both acknowledging the same kind of thing out of history. So, so no, I, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form was Red Skull talking about Hitler anyway, an under-the-carpet kind of connection to Indiana Jones. So, no, I don't think there was any connection there. And number two, no, I don't think we're ever going to see Indiana Jones with uh, the MCU. And I'm very happy for that. Let Indiana Jones have his universe. Let the N- MCU have their universe. All right, thanks a lot for the question. The next question comes to us from Austin Casper, who writes... I have noticed that the Dark Tower marketing team is pedal to the metal with trailers and TV spots since June and doesn't look like they will stop till the release on August 4th. I honestly forgot there was even a trailer for Justice League released in San Diego Comic-Con in 2016. I hope this is the new trend moving forward with having a two to three month push. What is your opinion on how a movie should market itself? Yeah, look, I've been saying for a long time, you just brought up a great point. I had conversations with people about you know, oh, they just dropped the first Justice League trailer. No, no, they dropped a Justice League trailer literally a year ago at Comic-Con last year. And people are like, oh, yeah, that's right. See? Proves the point. What was the point of releasing that trailer? Now, with Justice League last year, I understand why they released a trailer last year. And why they released the Wonder Woman trailer last year. Because Marvel, I'm sorry, Warner Brothers was trying to change the narrative. The, there was doom and gloom and skepticism draped over Warner Brothers because of the reaction to the movies they had had so far, especially BVS. So they wanted to change the narrative, get people to stop talking about how disappointed they were in Batman versus Superman, and get them to start talking about how great does Wonder Woman and Justice League look. So they used Comic-Con to drop those trailers, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant because overnight, the narrative changed. People weren't talking anymore. I mean, they are now, but people weren't talking anymore about the divisiveness of Batman versus Superman or Man of Steel. They weren't talking about that anymore. Now they're talking about how freaking awesome was that Wonder Woman trailer? How freaking awesome was that Justice League trailer? That's what they did. So there was a different reason behind that. But yeah, they released the um, the trailer for King Arthur, like last year at Comic-Con. And everybody had forgotten about it by the... Like, this whole idea of it's 10 months till till the movie comes out. Where's the first trailer? I, I think the industry really needs to move past that. I think they're starting to realize there's no point in putting out a trailer a year in advance, 10 months in advance, 9 months in advance. Uh, Comic-Con might be a little bit of a different thing because it's a big event. And yet, yeah, yet, yeah, I get that. there There's a difference there for sure. But I like the way now that uh, Dark Tower is using their strategy. Now... Dark Tower strategy to wait till about three months before the movie comes out and then do a heavy marketing push. I think that's the right move. I think that's the way more films should be marketed. Unfortunately for Dark Tower, they haven't had the best trailers, but I still think the movie's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. But I think the way Dark Towers handled its marketing is the way most movies should go back. It's the way movies used to be marketed, and I think it's the way they should do it again. A little bit different to make little teas and announcements eight months out or ten months out or whatever. That's fine, and and, and at events like Comic Con is fine too. But overall, I agree with you completely. Two to three month marketing push is the way things should go. Alright, and we move on to the last question of the day. I believe it's the last question. Yes, last question of the day. And the last question of the day comes from Thomas Markey, who writes, My question is regarding Michael Fassbender. He has the ability to be a great actor, but probably hasn't had a strong movie since 2015 Steve Jobs. His last few movies have been Alien Covenant, Creed, or alien sorry alien covenant assassin's creed michael fassbender was not in creed uh, assassin's creed uh song to song the light between oceans and x-men apocalypse do you think the snowman will get his career back on track um thanks a lot for the question it's a good observation that fassbender has been in a lot of bad movies lately i think light between oceans is one of the worst films i've seen in years assassin's creed is also epically awful and terrible uh, X-Men Apocalypse wasn't a horrible movie, but it wasn't good. It was a disappointment. So yeah, he's been in a string of bad movies. And this new movie's got coming out, The Snowman, looks really great. I'm very excited about this film. I think the trailer looks fantastic. If you haven't seen the trailer yet, jump on YouTube. Just look for The Snowman 2017 trailer and you should find it. It looks really sharp, very exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it a lot. But this is a good example where the actor is not necessarily synonymous with the movie that they're in. Yes, he's been in a string of bad movies, but I don't think anybody in the public perception has seen Fossbender as giving bad performances. Like, he gave a really good performance in X-Men Apocalypse with what material he had to work with. He did as good as he could do in Assassin's Creed, there was really nothing else he could have done. There's nothing else any other actor could have done. The dialogue, the lines were the lines. The scenes were the scenes. He just had to go in and act in them. And he did as good of a job as any actor could. So while he's had a string of really bad movies, I have not felt any perception from the movie going audience that anybody's put any of the blame on Michael Fossbender, nor is there any perception that Michael Fossbender's career is sputtering. Like, I don't sense any less excitement about the Michael Fassbender name being attached to a project than there used to be three years ago. I think everybody is just as excited for Michael Fassbender right now as they were in 2014. And I think because, like I said, the movie going audience in this situation has been smart enough to know that, you know, the stinker movies that that have come out have not been his fault. I mean, Light Between Oceans, I think it was a terrible movie. But he gave as good of a performance as you could give. So I don't think, even though he's been in a string of bad movies, I honestly don't think Michael Fassbender's stock has dropped at all. I think the industry and the fans have recognized he's been in some bad films that no actor was going to save. And he almost saved a couple of them just with his sheer performance. So I think he's as hot of a name right now as he was in 2014, 2015. I don't think it's affected him at all. So, no, I don't think Snowman's going to get his career back on track because I don't think his career's gotten off track. But it's a very interesting observation you made. What do you guys think? Jump in the comments section below that'll do it for this installment of the john campy podcast guys thank you so much for joining me and I, like i said for any of the topics we discuss here today i want to know your thoughts and opinions jump down to the comments section and leave your thoughts remember guys it's great for us to have different opinions that's something to celebrate we're all movie fans all films are subjective which means we get to share our different points of view and still be good friends along the way so please be respectful of other people's opinions when you jump down there and leave your thoughts too let's show the world that movie fans are a little bit better than some other people all right all right so that'll do it for me guys, and once again, if since you're here, make sure you click on the subscribe button, make sure you're following me on social media on Facebook and on Twitter, just at John Campia. And once again, guys, I know everybody deep down wants to do something to change the world for somebody. I found this great app a couple of years ago called Share the Meal. It makes it super easy and very inexpensive and very convenient to actually change the world for the better for somebody out there. All you do is you open up the app, tap the button, share the meal once you've got it all set up. And once you tap the button, you've just donated $3.50, which feeds a hungry child for a week. You can change the world for somebody today. It's on iOS. It's in the, uh, (coughs) I got something caught in my throat. It's on iOS. It's in the Android app store. It's any any kind of device you use. You can find a way to use it. Go on ahead and you share the mail. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, bye-bye.